John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And good morning, everybody, on this Thursday as we wait for clear skies and trying to get some of the smoke out of here. I guess we're down to about 175 right now as far as the air quality. And still, that's good enough that you can play the football game on Sunday. And I just hope it gets better here with the rain that may be scheduled to come in either Friday or on Saturday. So I hope everybody's making the best out of this situation. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. They're a historic winning football team and because they do stuff right and they're really well coached and they've got a really good scheme. Uh, they adapt to their opponents as well as anybody in the game. Um, defensively, they, they, they have been great in the turnover game. Uh, led, led the league in turnovers last year. Um, turnover ratio last year. Um, came out and got three picks right off the bat. So we know we got to take care of the football. So you can see them. They've shifted... Uh, you know, they're focused on how uh, how they ran their offense in the first game, and they can do anything in the second game. I, you know, I leave it wide open to Coach Belichick. But the uh, what we saw is we saw you know a feature of, of the quarterback. You know, Cam ran the ball 17 times in the game, and so we got to see what they do this time around. There's not enough games for us in their new thinking uh, to know what to expect here. So um, we'll have to adapt at game time. And so that's going to be interesting to kind of watch now as they get ready. And that was Pete Carroll talking about, uh, you know, getting ready for this game uh, coming up against the New England Patriots. A different-looking New England Patriot team because no Tom Brady. He's not uh, no longer with the team. And so now it's a matter of, okay, how do you try to defend him? Because as a quarterback that didn't have any ability to move in Tom Brady, now they take a quarterback who had 15 carries, 75 yards. But it's a new-look offense. They ran the ball so much more than anybody else in the league, and they only passed the ball, what, about 19 times. Newton, 75 yards on two touchdowns and 15 carries. The Seahawks are 6-2 and two overall against Cam Newton when he was down in Carolina, 5-1 and one in the regular season. I mean, they've met a bunch of times, and a lot of it is because, you know what, you win the division, of course, in the NFC South, I guess there's a new division winner every year, but they've been able to play a lot of times, and, of course, the six times in the 10 years that, uh, you know, he's been in the league. Pete Carroll, very optimistic with injuries, optimistic about the air quality index, uh, and he's watching it very closely, and it looks like it's going to be ahead. It's a Sunday night football game, New England versus Seattle. Number two. Here's the stretch, and the 2-2. Swing and a miss for strike three, and the ball game is over. The Giants win the opening game of the brief two-game series. Mariners now with a record of 22-27, and but they don't lose any ground on the Astros, who lost tonight. At home, one to nothing to the Rangers. The Mariners still two back of Houston for that second spot in the American League West. Not so much for home field advantage. Again, they're supposed to be uh, played here. I had to move it down to San Francisco because of all the smoke. And so uh, starting pitcher L.J. Newsom only able to go three innings, gave up five earned runs at a 9-3 loss to the San Francisco Giants. So now five games below 500. Bullpen uh, had troubles, gave up four runs in the last six innings. Uh, on the good news front, uh, you know the Astros lost one to nothing against the Rangers, so they are two games behind the Astros for a playoff spot. So they're still in the mix right now, and so stay tuned for that. Now today's game is of course uh, down in San Francisco, and it's a day game. You'll be able to catch the game at one ten. Pre-game begins right after the show at noon, and you're going to hear it right here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. 
Number three. We will have a 2020-2021 college basketball season. The NCAA Division I Council voted Wednesday to start the season on November 25th, which is a 15-day delay from the original start date of November 10th. Uh, discussions had ranged over the past couple weeks for different days in December, but the 25th was selected because, as Dan Gavitt of the NCAA noted last week, 76% of Division I schools will have their general student body off campus by the November 25th start date, the day before Thanksgiving. The maximum number of games was changed. The minimum number was dropped to 13. Uh, the committee recommended for each school to play four non-conference games, and practice will start on October 14th. So there is going to be basketball, which is good news. Still waiting to find out about football, and it's a matter that you can see that the uh, Pac-12 wants to try to make sure that they get all the clearances from all the areas where the schools are. And right now, and particularly in California, they don't have it. But as uh, you're able to hear from Jeff Borsello, that uh, there's going to be NCAA basketball starting on the 25th, both for men and women, and they count had the vote. There'll be no exhibition games, no scrimmages before November 25th. Council believes that the general students at home for the first month and then of course uh, early part of January so there's a six week window to get everything underway so that can begin on November the 25th maximum number of games to be played is going to be 25 so basketball coming back we'll see about Pac-12 football Uh, still waiting on that you know the Big Ten they're back in play so it looks like uh, you know things are coming back although I guess here's the one scary thing now because we had two open uh, games you know two teams that had games that had fans in them Kansas City and Jacksonville and now the Chiefs just put out a release today that uh, one of the fans in the stands you know did have COVID and tested positive and so now they're trying to do as much tracing as possible to see if any others did have it so we do have the first positive test of one of the two games that did have fans in the stands number four was there a concern you know that could be more than a three-week situation no, I don't think so. You know, and they tell me calves, you know, so I don't hear about the Achilles. And um, so I would think that's good. He doesn't sound too concerned about it. He just is going to need a couple weeks, we think. And, um, you know, maybe a little bit more, but hoping it's only three. That's why we put him on IR. So <clears throat> more bad news for the uh, Super Bowl hangover team, which is now a migraine in the sense that Richard Sherman went on the injured reserve list. who <clears throat> has to serve a minimum of three games. They think he's going to be back. But during that time, the 49ers have to play two games on the road, the Jets and the Giants. They also have the Eagles coming to town uh, in week uh, four. And so uh, they're a mess right now at the cornerback position, you know, because not only is Sherman out, but Jason Verrett had a hamstring injury that scratched him in the first game. He didn't practice. Okello Witherspoon, he has concussion protocol right now. So what the 49ers had to do, they signed Dante Johnson, who they brought back off the practice squad, and Kenny Webb to the active roster and right now Dante may have to end up starting you know they also were able to sign two cornerbacks to the practice squad Brian Allen and Christian uh, Angulo so now you're talking about they're thin at wide receiver they're a disaster right now at cornerback because really the only quarterback cornerback in their top four that's even available to play at least at least as of today is going to be uh, Manuel Mosley an undrafted guy who really isn't too bad but you know you saw the problems that they had at cornerback and it wasn't sure Sherman, uh, he did well going up at DeAndre Hopkins, but they got about 12 of the 14 passes against other places that weren't Richard Sherman's, and so that's going to be a little bit of big worry. Now, of course, the lucky thing for them, 49ers are playing against two teams they should beat, the Jets and the Giants, and so we'll see how that goes. Philadelphia, of course, off to a tough start, too. 
but right now, 49ers really in trouble at wide receiver and cornerback. Number five. Game this week, you have a division opponent. You talked about the quick turnaround Thursday night. What have you looked at when you what, what do you see on film that concerns you most about this Browns defense? Miles Garrett, he's a really good player. Um, we're going to have to have a plan for him. I'm going to have to get the ball out of my hands quickly. Um, he's a game wrecker that you know can't be ignored. You got another guy on the other side that has accomplished some of the other things that you've accomplished. First pick in the draft, Heisman Trophy winner. How, how well do you know Baker Mayfield? What kind of relationship do you have with Baker Mayfield? You know, I don't know him very well. We've spoken a couple times and um, have kind of stayed in contact on and off. But I'm, I know he's a competitor. I'm excited to compete against him. So that's Joe Burrow talking about uh, coming for game two and what he can try to do. Bengals did lose 16-13, to but Burrow did really well. Had this team in a position to either win or tie the game. You know, they had a heartbreaking 31-yard missed field goal, and it was one of the passes that he threw. Uh, Burrow uh, could have been a touchdown, but, of course, a push-off decided that that wasn't going to happen. But he put the ball where he should have been, and that would have been if that happened, what, one of the seven or eight comeback games in the National Football League. And then here's Randy Bullock on a bad week for kickers where 716 percent of the field goals were made one of the worst starts since i think 2008 he missed a 31 yard field goal that would have forced overtime so now the pressure is on the cleveland browns they opened up and went down 38 to 6 to the baltimore ravens and they look like a disaster and right now you got rumblings that uh, you know maybe the uh, browns are thinking about trading odell beckham jr who doesn't have any chemistry right now with baker mayfield but a game tonight that's going to be you know not i'm sure the ratings aren't going to be great but it's going to be one that i think is going to be interesting to watch cleveland going against cincinnati this game will begin at 5 20 and they'll be on uh, certainly NBC. So you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further reviews and talking about what the Seahawks offense needs to do against the Patriots defense. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. Well, they let Russ cook on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. But what kind of meal can be served up going against a New England Patriot team that's completely different than what you see in Atlanta? I mean, what's the difference is going to be the fact that for coverage, the uh, Patriots have the three, one of the best trio of coverage cornerbacks in football. They're somehow able to come up with different schemes to take away some of the top players on the other team. And, you know, they got off to a good start against a bad Miami team, you know, beating them 21 to 11. Last year, they only gave up 14.1 points a game. And so now the question is going to be, where are the weaknesses against the Patriots that you can take advantage of? I mean, one thing you know for sure is that uh, there's going to be more running than there was last week. You know, Seattle only had 20 running plays and a couple of them involved Russell Wilson. And so that's got to be different. You know, I don't think you're going to see a 35-20, uh, 38-20 pass-to-run ratio coming in there. That's going to be different. But I think that there's got to be a lot of different things that uh, has to go offensively to try to beat the Patriots defense. That was a subject today on Danny and Gallant. So what's the approach that you go into this Sunday with? Early in the game, I want to throw the ball. <gasps> I, I, I hope to be able to run it. Which pill is that? Is that the blue pill? I don't know. Take your, take your pick. I, I, okay. I forget which one in the Matrix is which. The, I, want, I want them to continue with the approach that they started last week's game with. 
I want to use the running game to control and and dictate clock situation possessions. I want to throw to get the lead. And and I, I think that especially early in a season, establishing that this is what we do, because Pete Carroll is someone who does believe in that, that you you establish who you are, and this is what we do. We do it week in and week out. This is part of it. I, I want it to be closer to 50-50 pass run in the first half than it has been for the past eight years, for Russell Wilson's first eight years. I want them to be willing to throw to get to the lead rather than just, hey, we're going to slug it out and we're going to manage the Like, we're content. We're content to just stay close in the first half and take the game as it comes. I, I, I'd like a more aggressive approach early in the game. And there could be some advantages to that because you might force Cam Newton to throw the football more. While I watched the Patriots-Dolphins game from Sunday and saw that Newton actually did have some of that arm strength that we thought might be lacking, especially throwing the football down the middle of the field. I mean, he was lasering it in there, and it looked pretty accurate, but do you want him to force him to throw it 20 times? That's fine for him. 40 times, that's where I think it might get a little bit tricky, especially with that shoulder of his. And say you do decide to open things up throwing it, Maybe you build a lead and you force New England into a situation where they're forced to throw the football more. Yeah, so that's going to be, I think, uh, again, I think they have to throw it less because what you're looking at is that, uh, you know, all the all you're looking at is, again, that's one of the strengths of the team. I mean, you don't you don't want to risk turnover. And the more you pass, the more chance you have to get those type of turnovers. And they've got to watch that. But I'd have to think at this stage, you know, they've got to try to, uh, you know, have a 50 50 balance. And again, I think you start out early and you let kind of Russ run around and, you know, have some RPOs and have some ability to go. And I think the big thing that needs to happen is that you've got to go two tight ends. Because the idea is you make it tougher for Bill Belichick to figure out what to do, where to place the safety, all those different things. But you do need to establish that running game to make everything work out and get the play-action passing game going. And, you know, a lot of that has to be two tight ends. And, of course, with the two tight ends, what that does, you know, it puts bigger bodies on the field or a bigger body. And so now uh, if you if they stay with the three cornerbacks and at least this takes away one of the cornerbacks, they may have to go with the extra safety, and then you still have a big size advantage that you can work you know, with Greg Olson, Will Disley, or any of the other two tight ends. So I think that is going to be one of the key strategies. And overall, I think that uh, you know, they've got to try to manufacture as much offense as you can and try to have the lead. And of course, that's going to be, that's going to be the interesting thing in following the Patriots this year, because I think that uh, getting Cam Newton makes them competitive, puts them in a position where they can win any game, because I think he's that good of a quarterback, you know, not the uh, necessarily that top five quarterback when he was MVP, but he's got to be right in the middle of the pack, and he showed a lot in game one. But uh, how's their ability to come back if they're going to be down, say, 10 points? Because now you have to start passing the football, and you look at that receiving group, and I contend it's actually less talented than last year. You know, Mohamed Sanu's not there. You know, their first-round pick from last year is always seemingly not getting on the field, either injured or just not there. And so I think that what the strategy has to be, you go too tight end, you try to play with the lead as as best you can, and then uh, make some quick strides 
strikes, you know, from the two tight end set, you know, get DK Metcalf matched up against, uh, you know, not necessarily Stephon Gilmore because, you know, Gilmore last year was the defensive player of the year. And so you want to try to keep as much away from him as possible and work on the other ones. But again, that's why you'd rather have them out there with uh, two cornerbacks and an extra safety as opposed to going three cornerbacks. And so, you know, you minimize the number of three receiver sets as best you can. And then, of course, do have success running the football. DJ Wilder, uh, what's your thoughts as far as what uh, the strategy could be? Because you can't let Russ cook like he cooked last week. Yeah, I know that we're going to get a lot of textures from the cooking people about this. I think they need to run the ball as well. I This offense, I don't think has a lot of firepower, maybe through the passing game, but their rushing attack really scares me. And it felt like any time the Falcons decided to use Todd Gurley, they were, especially in the beginning of the game, they were really able to gash them for six yard gains, eight yard gains, 10 yard gains. And the Patriots have Sony Michelle. They have James White, who maybe he's not a great runner, but he's a great receiver out of the backfield. Rex Burkhead, they can really, if they really want to go, you know, kind of grit and grind with the run game, they could really use him. So I think you need to run the ball, drain the clock. There's, I've been told they're a little soft up the middle on defense. The Patriots are. So if you can run the ball on them with success and not just with Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, maybe get Russell Wilson on the outside and read options, just like you were able to a little bit against the Falcons, drain that clock, hopefully build a seven point lead or a 10 point lead and force Cam Newton to throw. Not saying he's a bad passer, but he's definitely not the passer that he was when he was winning, um, when he's winning his MVP award with in Carolina. But I would rather force the Patriots to have to air it out with with just really Nikhil Harry, who's inconsistent, and Julian Edelman, who's their number one receiver. I would rather have them air it out. So I think the best way to get to that 10-point lead is to run the ball and drain the clock and force them to air it out. Yeah, I would agree. And again, uh, you know, the big and the big thing they they have to make sure they do is not make turnovers because that's where you can have the problems. And that's one of the strengths that Russell Wilson has. He's very good at not. He only had what th- five interceptions, and you know, you got to test out their vulnerability. And so that's where I think the key strategy is. And that's why I know. Do you agree that two tight ends is the way to go? Most of the time, yes, especially with no Dante Hightower there and and the lineback in the linebacker spot. I think, not saying you you'll never be able to really just put up forty points on a Patriots no. defense, but I think your tight ends, especially someone like Will Disley, who's not going to have the most attention on him, being really tight end number two on their depth chart. I think someone like him could really get behind that front seven and could maybe cause some damage because. Honestly, you're not going to get 25-yard bombs on them. Even if you're able to run on them and get into play action, you're not going to be able to go deep on a secondary that includes you know, guys like Stephon Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year, Jason McCourty, Devin McCourty, you know, J.C. Jackson is their nickelback. You're just not going to be able to do that. And so I, I totally think that the best way you just got to run, you just got to run the ball on them and really try to limit the turnovers because Stephon Gilmore is going to be shadowing Tyra Lockett or DK Metcalf. I mean, take your pick. Stephon Gilmore is most likely going to have a lot of success shadowing whoever he really is being asked to defend. So really just establish the running game. I know the cooking people don't want to hear that, but that'll be, to me, that's the best way that they can put themselves to um, put themselves up for a win. No doubt about it. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll get a preview of the New England Patriots. Ben Volan of the uh, Boston Globe joining us. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hey, remember, the Seahawks take on the Patriots this Sunday on 710 ESPN. That means you can hear the Mariners game in its entirety on 770 KTTH. And joining us right now from the Boston Globe is Ben Volan. And Ben, I mean, I I know just this offseason, I don't think I've ever seen the roster ride as crazy as what we witnessed, as what the Patriots did, you know, losing, what, four or five key guys early, trading one, and then all on defense, and then all of a sudden, eight guys opt out. I mean, have you ever seen anything like it? Well, obviously, John, we haven't because of the opt-outs and because of COVID. That's such a unique yeah. aspect of this year, and I think when the Patriots went into their off-season roster building, they weren't counting on losing Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, and right tackle Marcus Cannon, especially Patrick Chung. He signed a revised deal in May, uh, a new contract extension, and got a nice $3 million signing bonus and then ends up opting out. So the, de- the Patriots definitely weren't counting on that. Um, the toughest thing to, to get a beat on the Patriots, though, John, is what plan are they doing exactly? Um, it sure looks like they're rebuilding when they're letting all their guys walk out the door in free agency. They're starting over with some draft picks. Um, they're, they're sitting on some cap space, getting their salary cap in order. But then they go out and sign Cam Newton. And apparently they're going to be in the market for maybe a wide receiver. So it's like every time you think they're rebuilding, they're, they're going for it. So it, it maybe Bill Belichick is just trying to rebuild the team on the fly. Uh, I know he, he doesn't want to lose games by any stretch. He, he abhors the idea of tanking. But it's, it's like every time they're rebuilding, then they go and make a Cam Newton move. And then every time you think, okay, they're going for it, they sit on the cap space again, so they're hard to get a, a, a beat on in that sense. So how? I mean, I know it's because uh, you've you've watched it for what uh, so many years, uh, you know, with the Jets and uh, Miami and all that stuff. I mean, they have such a big advantage over them, so they get the ten point victory, and it wasn't much of a game. It was all pretty much a one sided. But how good is this defense? Because last year, a lot of their success, particularly early, you know, was against losing teams. But again, they only gave up fourteen point one point a game, and of course, uh, I mean, I consider they have the best trio of co- coverage cornerbacks in football yeah they have an excellent secondary um stefan gilmore the reigning defensive player of the year jc jackson is a name that i think a lot of people are going to learn this year he's basically the new malcolm butler he was an undrafted rookie a couple years ago uh now he's in his third season had a really good sophomore campaign and uh, i think is really about to break out as the number two cornerback uh jason mccordy as well devin mccordy his brother uh, at safety so belichick's always built his defense back to front and uh, their secondary is still excellent. And even though the guys up front, they, they don't have a lot of big sack guys, they're still quality players up front. Um, uh, Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise, Chase Winovich, they, they have some, some good talent up front. The question's in, in uh, the linebacking core. They have a completely uh, new linebacking core. They lost all three of their starters from last year, Hightower, Jamie Collins, and Kyle Van Noy. They're playing rookies. Uh, guys who were backups are now in larger roles. And, you know, John, I actually am expecting a little bit of regression from the Patriots defense this year. Last year they played uh, statistically the easiest schedule in the NFL. They played a lot of bad quarterbacks, uh, and they, they were able to, to really dominate some, some weak teams. This year they play, uh, starting this week, at Seattle. They play at Kansas City, at Houston. They play Baltimore. They play San Francisco. They have, a, I believe, the league's uh, most difficult strength of schedule this year. So I, I'm expecting – a little bit uh, of a regression from the defense, but they still should be top 10 
And it's funny, I was just talking with, uh, I had a little interview with NBC's Chris Collinsworth a little while ago, and he was blown away by how much um, variety uh, the Patriots showed on defense. You're talking about week one. There wasn't a whole lot of training camp. There wasn't much of an offseason. You've got five new starters on that side of the ball. And he was saying it looked just like it did last year when you had all these veterans. They mixed and matched personnel. They threw so many different things at Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he was blown away by how much the Patriots were able to do defensively given all the limitations they've had this offseason. So I I think uh, from that sense, they're only going to get stronger as the year goes on, but the schedule is so difficult this year that I, I am expecting a little bit of a regression. Yeah, no question, and that's the thing that I, I looked at as try, trying to figure out if Buffalo was going to have the edge or New England was going to have the edge in the division, and I kind of leaned toward Buffalo, uh, mainly because they don't have to play that first-place schedule, and of course that first-place schedule includes two really good quarterbacks, and that's a little bit more than uh, you know what the Bills have to face, so that's going to be a challenge. Well, how Take us through the linebacker situation because again you throw in uh, uh, Roberts from last year that's they're down what their top four linebackers and what do they have to replace them yeah they're down four of their top five Roberts was really more Roberts was really more of a special teams guy and he did play some snaps on defense but it's really about losing Dante Hightower Kyle Van Doy and Jamie Collins um, the, the Patriots linebackers uh, are really versatile players they, a lot of times they were uh, sub pass rushers on third down uh, guys like Collins and, and Van Noy were great at, you know, you, you never knew if they were coming after the quarterback or dropping into coverage. They were really athletic and good at disguising their intentions. And Dante Hightower was the defensive captain, the guy who wore the green dot, the communicator. Losing him uh, was, was really tough, I think, for their defense. And he always uh, seems to come up with, you know, so many big plays and big moments for them. I uh, talk about their Super Bowl runs. Dante Hightower is always in the middle of it. So they, they miss those guys. And, uh, the one name to watch is Jawan Bentley. He's a third-year player. He was a fifth-round pick out of Purdue a few years ago. Um, spent his first couple years, he was injured a little bit, then he was a backup, kind of learning the role. And now that Hightower is opted out, Bentley is the guy in the middle of the defense. He's got the green dot. He played the whole game the other day. And around him, they're just kind of mixing and matching right now. Um, a couple, They have a couple guys who really are more special teamers, like Shalik Calhoun and Brandon Copeland. They actually played uh, 30 snaps on defense last week. They have a couple uh, rookies who I think are bringing being brought along slowly. Josh Uche, the second-round pick, was actually inactive last week. Third-round pick, Anthony, Jen- Anthony Jennings, only played eight snaps. So they're just kind of figuring out what they have in their personnel right now. Uh, really, it's more about their defensive backs. They, they were playing five, six, seven defensive backs on, on every snap last week, and I think they played nine DBs during the game, rotating them in and out. Um, so that's really what the defense is more about right now, the, the secondary and using those safeties that can play linebacker uh, more than, than forcing guys who aren't as experienced at linebacker to, to take more snaps. Yeah, that's the thing that's so unusual about this is that uh, you have two coaches facing each other, you know, one's 69 years old, the other 68, but they both believe in the same formula, building from the back to the front. And, uh, you know, you look at Seattle, uh, you know, they didn't, they started out low against Jadevian Clowney. They didn't want to pay him, you know, 17 to $20 million. And really, that's the same as Bill Belichick. I mean, you know, letting, you know, guys go like Trey Flowers, not paying him and you know, certainly uh, you know, all these guys through the years. But what is it about the philosophy that Bill has? Because this secondary in Seattle, 
is really good. I mean, you watch Jamal Adams twice a year for the and he is phenomenal. He blitzed 11 times, had four pressures on the quarterback, a sack, and was making big hits all over the field. But what is it about that philosophy that Bill says, you know, building from the back to the front, why it works? Yeah, Jamal Adams was such a tremendous pickup for the Seahawks. And uh, Belichick had a comment this morning on his uh, uh, media call that the Seahawks called more safety blitzes last week uh, than Belichick saw the entire season last year. So uh, I wonder if Pete Carroll kept dialing it up over and over just to give the Patriots a little something to think about this week, because I don't think the Seahawks usually call too many of those safety blitzes. Um, you know, there, there's two philosophies when building a defense. Uh, one philosophy is you want to go get the Von Millers and um, the uh, Joey Bosa's and the dominant pass rusher, and if you can uh, make the quarterback's life uh, hell in front, then you won't have time to get the pass off. Um, and then there's the Bill Belichick and the Pete Carroll philosophy where if you can lock guys down in the back end, you can scheme up pressure. You can find ways to get pressure on the quarterback. Um, you can blitz. You can do stunts and twists. You don't necessarily have to have that elite pass rusher to, to get uh, to get sacks and to, to get a hand in the quarterback's face. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Belichick and the Patriots look at it too. I mean, who are the most expensive players on the NFL roster? Your pass rushers, the Khalil Max, the Von Millers, uh, whereas uh, – you know, corners are starting to become that way, but you build up your defense uh, with safeties and, and corners. That's a, a, maybe a more cost-effective way to build your defense and allows you to spread more money uh, elsewhere. Um, you know, the Seahawks aren't as anti-pass rusher as the Patriots are. I mean, uh, uh, Michael Bennett was phenomenal for years, and he wrecked the uh, the Super Bowl for the Patriots. They they had really a lot of trouble stopping Michael Bennett. They had Cliff Avril, so they've had some good pass rushers. The Patriots really don't believe in that type of – you know, Belichick would rather have a guy who's 300 pounds who can take up a couple of blackers up front than a guy who can uh, uh, get to the quarterback consistently. So uh, Belichick really doesn't believe in paying the pass rushers. He believes in the back end. and You know, it's worked out well for them. They've had uh, one of the top defenses in the NFL for the last several years. Obviously, uh, Cam Newton was a great acquisition, particularly at the price of $1.75 million. He ran the ball 15 times for 75 yards. But can they sustain that? Because the one thing with, uh, unless he's changed his philosophy, which he may, I hope he did, you know, is that Cam you know, wants to destroy the linebacker that's trying to come up to get him, and that's led to shoulder problems and injuries the last couple of years. Can he sustain this type of an offense? You know, I, I do think it can be sustainable. You know, Lamar Jackson is not the biggest, most physical player. He looks kind of brittle, actually, and he lasted the entire season no problem last year. Um, I went back and looked at Cam's run the other day, and, and yeah, there were some times where he was kind of going to the ground and his defensive player fell on top of him. And we've seen before where a guy can crack a rib or break a wrist in, in, in a situation like that. So, I mean, absolutely, the more you run Cam, the, the more risk there is. But I don't think there's any way around it. I think that's the style of game you need to play with Cam Newton. Um, he's a fantastic runner and a fantastic athlete. And he's, you know, not a guy who's going to sit in the pocket 50 times a game just winging it. So uh, I think the read option, the traditional option, option the design keepers, you, you need to use that with Cam Newton. Uh, the, the area that I'm concerned with the Patriots is if they have to play from behind um, or if, it, you know, they're in a shootout perhaps this weekend uh, in Seattle. You know, it's one thing to, you know, like last week against Miami, they jumped all over the Dolphins and then ran the ball 40 times and, and played from ahead the entire game. I'm just not sure this is an offense that's built to play from behind. You look at, like, the Ravens. They did the same thing last year. They jumped all over all their opponents and, and ran the heck out of the ball. 
But in the playoffs against Tennessee, when they had to come from behind, they just didn't have the aerial attack to do it. So and Cam Newton only threw the ball 19 times last week. That was uh, the fourth fewest attempts he's ever had. Um, his career record is like 16-3 and when he throws the ball fewer than 25 times. So that is kind of a formula for him, just try to run the ball and get out ahead. But I think, obviously, you're going to be concerned about his durability. And then I think there are concerns about they have enough in the passing game outside of uh, him and Julian Edelman right now. Yeah. In fact, I don't know, is a weaker receiving tight end group than it was last year? Well, we'll see. They they drafted two uh, tight ends in the third round, uh, Devin Asiazi from UCLA, Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. So you hope that one of those guys, you know, pans out into a, a productive NFL player, how much you'll get out of them as rookies. I feel like that's one of the positions that's really the toughest to transition from college to the pros uh, tight end. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting them to get a ton of production, but at least they invested in the position this year as opposed to last year where they just kind of duct-taped it together with a veteran like Benjamin Watson. But um, they really need Nikhil Harry to, to start uh, coming up big. He was a first-round pick for them last year, 32 overall. He's a big physical guy. He looks just like DK Metcalf, just muscles popping out of his jersey. Um, had a, a few nice catches last week. Also had a bad fumble that went out of the end zone. Not the not the best way to endear yourself to Bill Belichick with, with poor um, – uh, a poor ball security. So uh, Julian Edelman can still get open. He, you know, Newton was feeding him consistently the other day. But the Patriots really need to find a number two. And I'm not counting James White or the guys out of the backfield. They're good in the passing game. But the Patriots really need a second guy on the outside. And they really need Nikhil Harry to step up. Ben Volan from the Boston Globe. Great stuff as always. Are you flying here this week or are you going to be having to do it from home? Yeah, I'm John, I, I unfortunately won't be there, and I can't tell you how bummed I am. Yeah. Uh, Seattle is the last it is the last stadium in the NFL that I've yet to cover a game in, and I've been looking forward to this game for like seven years, and uh, then for this to happen. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but uh, I am really bummed that I won't be out there this week. Yeah, weekend. and of course, I, uh, I'm doing the Patriots sidelines for the broadcast, and of course, I'm doing it here from home, which is very unusual. It's an <laughs> unusual year. Hey, Ben Volan from the Boston Globe, thanks as always. Great stuff. All right, thank you very much, John. Okay, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to take you behind the lines, get you up to date on the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, uh, getting ready now for the Thursday night game, which is, you know, not, I think you wonder about uh, the ratings on this one. Uh, you know, it was interesting to see that, uh, except for the Sunday night Fox game and some of the other Fox games, ratings were a little bit down. But, of course, I mean, the numbers uh, are so were so high last year at the first week of the season. And I thought, uh, but now you're competing against NBA <clears throat> playoffs, NHL playoffs, you know, baseball, all those different things. But I think that, you know, they're still very content with the ratings. And, of course, they can continue to get more money coming in with some of the streaming packages they continue to do. I mean, they had Dish back on board. You know, they have the $1.5 billion from DirecTV for Sunday Ticket. I saw that, uh, you know, they got YouTube. They got that re-signed. And so those things seem to be going very well. But uh, I don't know 
how kind of what kind of a draw that you can get on a Cincinnati Cleveland game. Joe Burrow, I think, is going to be of interest. But again, how much national interest is there in a Cleveland Brown team that continues to underachieve? And where I talk about underachieve is that you know they have struggled all the way along to uh, you know be, be, try to get good. And you have Baker Mayfield having only six points in the opener against Baltimore, and we all know Baltimore is better, and we're going to win that game. But you know only six points, and they gave up 38. And this is a team, Cleveland, that has 10 players who have been to the Pro Bowl, six on offense and four on defense, and yet they can't get out of their own way and play like a good team. Cincinnati, of course, is not a good team, but they gave a competitive game against the Chargers on the road and really, in many ways, should have won it because the one play that would have gone for the game-winning touchdown, there was a push-off by A.J. Green that got an interference call. So they tried to settle for the short field goal, and next thing you know, boom, they missed it. So, I don't know, Cincy, Cleveland, how much does that attract your eyes, uh, DJ Wilder? I'm intrigued to watch Joe Burrow. I didn't get to watch him play the Chargers uh, last Sunday. So I'm I'm excited to see how Joe Burrow will handle a defensive line that features Miles Garrett, Larry, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, and Olivier Vernon. I he even talked about it in a little bit in the top five that he's going to have to get the ball out quickly. And he's got weapons. You know, he's got A.J. Green, John Ross, guys like that. Mm-hmm. It'll be really interesting to see how he handles it. And I'm really intrigued as well to see how Baker Mayfield bounces back from his 21 for 39 performance. One touchdown, one interception. And he only he was only sacked twice. I want to see how this new look offensive line, if they can, if they can protect him a little bit better against Cincy's front. I don't know if they will be able to. But, John, do you think if Baker has another performance like he did last Sunday, are there going to be a little bit of you know whisperings, a little bit of rumblings about maybe Baker getting benched in a month from now? Uh, there might be. In fact, I, there's already the rumblings. Some people are thinking that, oh, looks like Case Keenan's going to get a chance to play. And it's like, uh, I don't know about that. But, uh, no, I think it's got to be concerning because what you're looking at is that uh, it's just not clicking. And, of course, you know, they and, and this is some and, and this is where okay you can blame the coaching which is I think accurate I, I mean not Kevin Stefanski it's too early to take him out but also what you're looking at is that uh, you know you got an owner that's willing to fire a coach after one year and so now you have Baker Mayfield this is the fourth coordinator he's been with offensively in four years how confusing can that get because you're constantly changing what you're supposed to do yeah I mean we even hear about Brian Schottenheimer up here in Seattle really. They're they're adding things. They're taking things out of the playbook every single year, and he's been here for three years. Like even though you have that continuity with this with the same coordinator, whether it be offense or defense, you're always adding things. So to to, to go from through four different philosophies, I can't even imagine. Like I I don't think we can make that fully an excuse for Baker Mayfield, but that's got to be some of it for his performances in his first three seasons. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's it, it catches up to you without any question. And so uh, and that's why, you know, owners fire coaches too much. And, you know, <clears throat> I think this year is going to be a, a disaster in the way it's like, hey, you got to give the coach a little bit of latitude just because, OK, you know, he didn't have an offseason program. He was doing Zoom meetings in the offseason, no preseason games. But, you know, I still think there's going to be a lot of coaches. You know, some people think it's going to be five to six. I think it's going to be eight or nine. And, you know, uh, I think Kevin Stefanski's shown, I think, good leadership so far. So he'll be okay. But boy, it, this one's going to be tough. But Cleveland just seems to be their own worst enemy. 
It's unbelievable. And like all those names I was just naming, just on the defensive line, I mean, we didn't even mention guys like Denzel Ward. And in a tight end, they have David Njoku and Austin Hooper, who was arguably the best red zone tight end other than George Kittle and Travis Kelsey last year. I mean, and they have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Like they are on paper. They are so, they've done a great job building a team on paper. But somehow, some way, now, of course, like you said, we don't know. Like the Ravens. Are probably the best team, best complete team in the NFL, right up there with the Chiefs. So maybe they'll just look everybody look like and make everybody look like that all season. So we can only hope that maybe the Browns can maybe figure it out and actually, you know, I don't know, look a little bit like the team that they look like on paper. And hopefully that starts tonight. Yeah, let's let's hope they can try to do something. Uh, so uh, coming up next, we're going to get together with Michael Bumpus talk about this Seahawk Patriot game. It's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.